Hello, welcome to the Transit Matters Podcast, Episode 1. Uh, pleased to bring you this show. My name is Jeremy Mendelson, and I'm here with uh, my co-host. Mark Ibunya, and I'm actually, uh, I've been writing Transit Matters for a while here, but we're uh, trying out something new, and we're hoping to keep going with this, the uh, Transit Matters Podcast. Transit Matters Podcast is going to be your uh, bi-weekly source of transportation news, analysis, interviews, and more. And like the Transit Matters blog, uh, we're going to be focusing on sustainable transportation planning, operations, and policy. Mostly focused on Boston, but you know we can expand a little bit if needed. And uh, really what we're trying to do here is uh, expand the conversation on transportation and urban design. We're trying to promote a level of critical analysis and uh, thinking about you know why things are the way they are, uh, what we can do about it, what our options are, what, what are the effects of different policy and uh, operations choices, uh, th- th- all that sort of stuff. And uh, all, these, all the issues that we talk about, you know, transportation, housing, affordability, uh, accessibility, you know, really all of the things that we deal with in our natural and built environment on a daily basis are all kind of linked together. And transportation is so important because it's how we live our daily lives and we don't spend too much time thinking about it. Uh, but that's what we're going to do here. So uh, join us in the conversation, if you will. I guess, uh, I don't know, maybe we should tell you a little bit more about uh, about ourselves. Um, I am a, I live most of my adult life in Boston, although I'm originally from New York City. And uh, I've been a transit geek all my life and been a transit service planner for quite some time. And I recently did a little bit of touring in the Midwest. And I've been to a lot, dozens of cities around the country and um, trying to get uh, better transit over here. Yeah, so maybe there's something that maybe there's something about New York. I don't know. I think <laughs> I think Boston's Bostonians would have something uh, to say about that. But um, I also grew up loving trains, transportation. Um, but uh, growing up with Thomas the Tank Engine, that kind of matured into something um, a little bit more uh, professional. Specifically, this blog and this interest in um, sustainable modes of transportation and uh, and getting to getting to the places where I need to go without a car mostly because I spent a lot of my formative years in, uh, adv- um, in classic World War II, uh, post-World War II suburbia in, on Long Island, um, and even spent some of my childhood in Kissimmee, Florida, which is uh, uh, very, very advanced suburbia, uh, suburb- way past post-war suburbia. So I've experienced a lot of suburbia. I've also experienced uh, small-town ter- small America, and uh, so... So I don't know if I can apologize yeah. <laughs> enough for that on behalf of uh, the rest of America. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but uh, I'm sorry that you had to live in, in uh, these places. But it sounds like it uh, you know, gave you a good understanding of urban design and, and transportation. And an appreciation for what it means to have to live without a car. And, and, and then also, conversely, the, the, the liberties of not having a car. So right. uh, living in Boston and living in New York City. So. Cool. So, uh, so we'll get started here. Um, this this uh, first episode, we just it's going to be a little bit of a wild one. Um, we just kind of wanted to talk about a couple things in the news. Um, give a, I'm going to recap a recent Green Line forum that was held in the Back Bay. Um, going to talk a little bit about this new bus service that everybody's all excited about. Uh, well, some people are excited about it. Uh, <laughs> called Bridge. Uh, Mark, you went to the Green Line Forum right. recently. I, I didn't make it, so um, do you want to just sure. give us some thoughts on what happened? Yeah, so uh, that was actually hosted, um, I, I think, greatly facilitated by Senator Brownsberger, who's the um, 
the senator for, who represents, um, I believe, Alston, parts of Alston, Brighton, and uh, the entire Fenway. So um, he also courteously put up the presentation that Mr. Brian Kane, uh, the uh, one of the directors of policy at the MBTA, um, had up. So basically. They had assembled the general manager and a few of the uh, basically the what she what she called the uh, uh, subject matter experts, including uh, Mr. Dominic Trebone of uh, the uh, basically the director of innovation and special projects replacement of Mr. Um, uh, <laughs> Sounds like one of those made-up positions. I don't know if it is, but it's, it's funny. Right, right. Titles. So he he basically <laughs> facilitates the um, one-off projects that the general manager has. Um, as well as IT systems. Um, then we've got, of course, Bill McClellan, the director of the Greenline Operations. Uh, we also had Laura Brailsford uh, representing uh, system-wide accessibility, one of the, depu the de deputy director of system-wide accessibility. And then, of course, uh, Melissa DeLay, uh, director of planning and schedules. So basically they went uh, from department to department outlining a few things, in particular speed issues with the, t with the Green Line, um, frequency issues with the green line, capacity issues, transparency, and accessibility. Uh, they wanted to do an update on the major projects that they were having. In particular, uh, the one thing that everybody's very excited about, and that just Boston has been promised in one way or another time and time again, most recently in the form of uh, train tracking, a, a train tracking system that's not quite the full computer-based uh, control systems that, that they wanted and that the FTA would like for uh, the T because of the multiple green line accidents that we've had, all completely preventable if we had these, these systems. Um, and I believe we talked, uh, we've talked about this actually on, on your blog uh, on another podcast about sure. train, train protection systems. Um, right. I've done the, uh, I don't think I mentioned, I've, uh, I've done the critical transit blog and podcast for, for quite some time. And um, yeah, so, you know, I should mention that, that you know, with the Green Line, and, and for anybody who's listening to this not in Boston, I mean, this is our, the busiest light rail line in the country, and it's, you know, we're basically, we have four branches of, of uh, light rail service uh, meeting and combining in this one tunnel that's congested, and it's just awful. Um, and, you know, in terms of, in terms of the, the, the signaling, and, you know, if, if you could, you know, prevent these crashes, and um, they've, they've studied this, and they found that it, it is possible to, uh, to, to implement that kind of thing um, and you know, prevent the crashes and everything, but you couldn't operate the green line as it is now because the trains are just too close. Like right now, they're basically pulling up like 20 feet behind, and like you can't have that kind of thing. Right. So it's like unless you just tear it up and um, and just build like a big like like basically replace it with a red line um, and those kinds of cars, which I'm all in favor of. Um, but unless you do that, <laughs> right. you're pretty much like this is what we have. Well, the other thing too about this control system is not only would it protect trains. Um, pr protect passengers in particular from trains colliding into each other. Uh, the other major benefit would ideally be um, improvements in the timing of trains through that through the that that tunneling system. Because in most advanced systems, actually, you can get a lot of capacity out of just two tracks, one in one in and one out. It's all about um, very very tight schedules and all computer controlled. Um, and the problem is that that full implementation, which which we'll also talk about in another full blog post, um, would cost about $770 million at the last time that it was spec'd out, which I believe was sometime in 2009, 2010. 
So uh, and that's 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 the that's the full cost that it would take. There are lower implementations than that cost, but that that seven hundred seventy million dollar build out is where they would actually see improvement uh, capacity improvements. Um, otherwise, anything less than that would just be safety, but safety at the loss of frequency of change. So anyway, speaking of speaking of that um, that tracking system, it's only going this one's only going to cost them thirteen point five million, but it's not going to be a full train protection system. It's just going to give automated place automated information to the the folks down over um, at the operations control center where they control the operations of all the trains. Um, actual visibility instead of having to radio into the drivers. Hey, where are you? Give me your location, and then so on and so forth. Um, so on, on top of that automated location services, the one thing that you get other than, well, the major thing that people are really looking forward to is being able to know when a train is coming. So not only does the T get that information, but the, the, peop the passengers get that. And uh, their update was that not only was the implementation going to be complete this December, um, but also sometime in the early spring, or we will see uh, that data opened up in the, uh, the data feeds that the, uh, your favorite app developers currently use, including Google, um, to uh, present that information to you in a, in, in a way that, that makes a little bit more sense and is actually accessible to you other than having to actually get to the platform to see when a train is coming. Right. Um, and so even then, you know, obviously, you don't, you know, you're waiting out there. And the green light is just such a frustrating right. experience because you go out there and it's, you know, things all bunched up and you, you go out there and you, you don't know if it's going to, you know, it, I was just over at North Station today. I was, you know, talking to some people who were, you know, coming over from, from work, you know, trying to get their trains, their commuter rail trains. And it's just like, you know, it's like, yeah, we, you know, you can stand on the platform for half an hour for the green line. Like, if you, if you get it, if you go down there and there's a train there and, like, it can be super fast. You can get there in five minutes, okay. but, like... You know, you might be out there waiting for like half an hour, especially out in the in the uh, branch lines. Oh yeah, it's a nightmare. And so. a, and if you're waiting at North Station and you just want to get to Downtown Crossing, that's a less than thirty minute walk. Yes. So, um, <laughs> Indeed. So I mean, let's hope that that's. You know, obviously, like we shouldn't have these gaps to, be, to begin right. with, and I think right. it's really important to make sure that um, whatever is done with the Green Line that we start dealing with these reliability issues. Right. I think the tracking for the dispatches is going to go a long way in terms of dealing with these reliability issues. Right. Uh, but at the same time, um, it hasn't really, that hasn't really been the case with the bus system, and they do have tracking for the bus right. system. So, right. um, so that's, that's where the other component of this comes in, is uh, the very promising update here that, that Brian Kane touched on was uh, the fact that traffic signal priority or signal preemption, where basically the train uh, is detected um, and it... Uh, the two computers will just talk to each other, and the train, the lights will be able to change, either holding a green light or or turning a red light into a green faster if a train is approaching. So that's one component of speeding up trains. The other major component, which wasn't touched on, is throwing platforms to the opposite side of intersections, which is what's really important. Mm -hmm. That's where you really get the benefit. Though we can also well, it depends on the signal. I mean, it's all oh, yeah. about the signal. If you if you have real, you know, good transit signal priority, which works well, then a lot of times your near side, the, the near side, you know, before the intersection platform works works fine. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, with, with the current setup and you know how how far are they going to push to? How progressive are they going to make right. it? It's a lot of these. If you don't have any signal priority at all, then yeah, just like a bus, it makes more sense to have it at the far side of the intersection right. because 
you know, the worst case scenario, you're only going to have to wait for one light cycle. Whereas, you know, if you have to stop before the intersection, it's like you, you, you know, you're, say you're approaching and you're, well, it's more, more applicable for a bus too. You know, you're sitting in traffic and, um, and then at a red light and the traffic finally moves and you get to the stop, but then the light, you know, then the light turns red again and, and now you're ready to go and the light's red. And, you know. So the, the, the <laughs> issue about the, the uncertainty about having the stop on the near side, that is to say, uh, for those of you, uh, trying to visualize this at home, the near side of an intersection as you're approaching it. The uncertainty from having a near side is um, how long do we hold, how long do we tell the computer to hold that light based on the boarding time? And that's the other component that, mm -hmm. that a lot of people are really, really, really pushing for, which is improvement of fare collection and um, proof of payment or POP, uh, where basically uh, if, if you ride the green line and you might be familiar with this, occasionally during rush hours and every once in a while the MBTA does a major PR campaign with a push about this where they will have people standing out on platforms with, with card readers so that they can collect. That's one component of POP, uh, one way to do POP. Uh, most places, along the, along the D-line, in fact, you can um, go into the station shelters and they're actually proof of payment uh, little machines that give you a receipt and uh, I'll, we'll link we'll link the other blog post about that because we've I've already written <laughs> um, and, yeah, but, and, yeah. and these things are like you know these, and these are, cost I'm tearing my head out, my hair out of my head because right. I mean these things are a joke you know yeah. every the the system on the green line is for fair collection is just a complete mess okay. I've been I've been uh, in, in different places you know in in, in Minneapolis and Denver and yep. Dallas you know riding their light rail and you know and they and, and I'm talking to the some of the fair inspectors and who go around and check to see if you if you purchase your ticket and and they said you know. And they just can't believe it. Like we still have people boarding in the in the front door, and this has gone back before I, before we even had this front door boarding only policy. And I mean, just this idea that we have just these these super long vehicles with like what is it nine ten doors a, a, a train, and you know we're we're making people go up to the in the to the front stand in line and wait outside and right, rain and right. everything, and then everybody on the train is sitting there and he's stopping over two blocks and it's just it's just ridiculous. So so Brian so Brian Kane actually addressed that as well. He he talked about how the fact that um, he, as I think as, as, as politely as he could, he said that basically the, the issue was polarizing, that a lot of people want front door boarding uh, because they want the tea to collect as many fares as possible before you know, coming back to the public and asking for, for money to pay for the, the fare gap, which is considerably more than we ever lose in fares every single, every single year. Um, but then the other side is uh, people want people want to board on all doors. So you have to have one or the other. Muni actually spent millions of dollars uh, to implement in, in conjunction with their first contactless fair, uh, fair payment system, um, which they implemented after us, I believe, uh, the Clipper Card. Um, I, I San Francisco. Yeah, because I remember in 2009 I visited and they 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 were still first installing. They were just installing. The, the turnstiles for Clipper Card, um, they uh, in 2012 it permitted enabled boarding all, all doors boarding on all trolley lines and buses. So not just you know express select bus service like in in New York City where you have off board fare collection you know uh, or you know you have a the print receipt machines. Um, no, it's it's every door has a card reader, but that would cost the team millions of dollars. So that was so that's where that conversation evolved into that that evening was the fact that um, 
Out of $400 million in fares, the amount that the T loses is some... I don't, want to, I don't want to call it an infinitesimal amount, but it's considerably less than 1% by, by even, even conservative estimates. And um, I believe the, the advisory board also did a report on that back in 2010 or something. Because the T actually does estimates of this. You know, they, yes. they actually do go out and they, but it's they have numbers. Because when they do yeah. their counts, when they, when they say, oh, you know, we had this many you know, million riders this month or whatever right. it is, then, I mean, basically they're basing that off the fare box, but they have to adjust because even on the bus, there's people that don't pay their fare. Right. I mean, see somebody you know, or, gets on drunk and it's like, okay, we've got it. Or broken fare. machines, yeah. fare boxes. That's, and that's so, so that, was, that was the other thing. The, uh, in the long term, the MBTA's vision is to replace the fare, fare collection system. It, it was not only late from 20... It did. Like, didn't right. we do this like right. 10 years so ago? So it was oh, late geez. when it was delivered in 2007. <laughs> but the problem is... Um, the system has become old very fast. It hasn't been updated, and um, the system is actually, from what I understand internally, um, it's become an organizational nightmare to get additional, very flexible, more flexible programs out of the Charlie card. Um, kind of like what you're seeing with um, with the evolution of these proprietary uh, fare payment systems, like uh, I, think, I believe the Octopus card in, in Hong Kong is used. Not just for fares, but also for, uh, you know, you go to a drugstore or a shop or something, and you can use it like a debit card. Yeah. So, Which, I mean, I, you know, personally, I, could, I couldn't care less. About right, it, you know? right. So what do you do? Really, do you, is it really a big deal to carry one extra card? So, so the, the, the benefit, though, of, of go- changing over the, the, uh, the fare payment system to something new, um, and which the general manager has mentioned at a couple of uh, rider oversight committee meetings, is the fact that... Uh, an open payment, open payment system would be closer to our standards. We would be able to then tap into the equipment costs, the equipment cost reduction from commoditized equipment, uh, and that's our major cost here. Is you're talking about like if you just took credit cards at the fare box, right? So like Ventra, Ventra in Chicago yeah. recently got rolled out, and that's just that's just a fair contactless fare fair payment system. Each one of those cards is effectively just a debit card, right? But with the brand, Ventra, Ventra branding. Um, and yeah. so all of these com- all of all of these credit card companies are now pushing forward with the, these open standards, and even even companies like PayPal and yeah, um, because they make a shit ton of money off of it. I mean, there's what right. is that like two or three percent every time you use the credit card? Right. So I mean, it's good, it's good news for the T because the T is yeah. you know the T loses you know, spends a lot of money having to like send these armored trucks around going to get cash from the vending machines, right. and they want you to pay with credit card. But then they also but, I mean, there's these these fees, and that's why the credit card companies are pushing it, and I just don't yeah. know like. This isn't like I don't think it's the revolution that people make it out to be. Well, it's, but it's the the other the other opportunity is um, once you go into this this uh, open payment system um, that's standardized and also includes encompasses uh, near fair uh, near field com- communications NFC on phones, then you reach into a completely different evolution of fair payment systems. You, you begin to tap into um, flexible payment programs and, um, and a wider range of accessibility. You stop having to... It sounds like a, such a first-world problem of, oh, I I'm a business person, and I, you know, <laughs> right. oh, I go between New York and Boston all the time, and I just want one fair, fair card. Yeah, but right. the, the benefit is the streamlined organization and the cash pay, cash processing and all of that sort of stuff becomes a lot more streamlined and then you also tap into a commoditized market of standardized products instead of very very um, tailored products that cost 
you know millions more for a simple system of just fair collection, yeah. and that's that's where the that's where the T could is losing money, uh, in the sense that if they bought if they bought fair collection payment to, uh, equipment to be at every single door, that's what you would get. You would get right. you would it would cost. A considerable amount instead of just referring. What is that? What, what do you, uh, how does this help the Green Line? I mean, because the Green Line, we, we're talking about, you know, right. these big vehicles that really. And the other thing is that we, you know, we right now we run these two car trains with two operators, right. and you only need a second operator for the purpose of right. air collection. So that. So you know, what is this? Do we, you know, do we should we be implementing proof of payment fare policy on the Green Line? You know, and that should okay. that be like the the goal here, or is are we? Should we be trying to look at something else? So it's a it's in in some parts it's a it's a PR problem because the T doesn't definitely does not want to uh, attract the ire of 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 the of the ridership further oh, yeah. by by you know so can so I rant about that for just one more second? Yeah, sure. This is a, like you said, it's a political problem here, and yeah. fare evasion is is actually so so low, um, especially on, on buses, but. Um, you know, it's a few percent usually on buses, and um, the Green Line it, it has been shown to be as high as ten percent in some places. Um, but remember, like people are pay- people who are com- getting on downtown are you know paying in the in the, the fare gates in the subway, and you also have um, you have plenty of people going in the back door. People have passes. Um, the what a lot of people forget is that the cost of having the train sit there for ten minutes while people you know everybody pays at the front door is is not nothing. And it may, you know, the, when the T has studied this in the past, and they found that, you know, they do get money from fare collection, so it, they do bring in more than it costs to collect the fares, essentially for the, all the equipment. And, right. uh, but I don't think they factor in the fact that, you know, you're spending 20% of your, or even more, percent of your, uh, maybe as high as like 35% of your trip time on right. the B-line or something, sitting at the stop. And if you just, I mean, I don't know, if you just made it free... I mean, wouldn't that, you know, what if you put fare gates in both directions in downtown stations and just made everything else free? Wouldn't that... <laughs> That'd be a good idea. I don't know. Uh, well, because the other the the fare collection also pays a very important uh, plays a very important role, and you mentioned you touched on that earlier, which is counting passengers. It's offensive. It's effectively a uh, a census device to know uh, well what is our ridership from this station, what is that our ridership from this other station, and that actually comes to our next subject that they talked about, which was stop consolidation. Um, a Somewhat unpopular. Well, this is another polarizing subject. A lot of people want stop consolidation. A lot of people don't want stop consolidation. Um, people, the the T is not a, the T is not a, a a taxi service. It's also not. Uh, <laughs> if only we could get the people. You know, we have to keep having these public meetings in the neighborhoods where the stops are being removed. And if only we can get these people who want the stops removed to show up at the public meetings. Right. Then it might be a little right. <laughs> so, debate. So, I mean, arguably, it becomes an it, it's it's it becomes an unsavory argument between okay, how do we do we speed up the trains for the able-bodied persons, or are we are we and spinning it the other direction? Are we hurting the 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 elderly people or the dis, the the less able-bodied people um, who can't who for him for whom walking that extra two hundred fifty meters is a labor. Um, so you know, are we are we effectively cutting them out of that serv- their effective service area? Um, I have a solution to that, and it's like something that costs <laughs> money and nobody wants to talk about. But I mean, the solution to that is limited. We we don't have any limited stop bus services. Oh yeah, we have these CT one and two and three, which are kind of a joke. I took that recently. Twenty five minutes. Yeah, yeah, they run every twenty five minutes. So like nobody's gonna like the CT one would be perfect as a limited stop, except that nobody's gonna wait for it because it's every twenty five minutes. Right. 
Uh, but I mean, that's that's how you solve that problem. You run, you have your limited stop, and the same thing applies to the green line. You know, you have your limited stop service that runs every you know ten minutes, and then you know you have your your local stop that's making it's making every stop like. You know, if you, if you need to have a service running and making every stopping every two blocks, then you know you run it every 25, 30 minutes because not that many people are going to use it. I mean, that's the reality. So, so the operational constraint of the Green Line doing of of that sort of service pattern on the Green Line is, of course, that the Green Line trains can't leapfrog each other, whereas the buses can. Right. <laughs> so, I should say that uh, you know, I mean, this is you know, in terms of the Green Line, I mean, we're talking about you know much more complicated matters. But, oh, yeah. I mean, I I'm not against having I'm not against bringing in buses on those corridors to do some things that the trains maybe aren't able to do all by themselves. You know, maybe you had, maybe you brought in some buses there to run, you know, really local stops or, or you had some kind of like, some kind of like express service that, you know, maybe you just, you could bring in a bus next week that's running, you know, making a, a few stops, stopping at Packard Corner and Harvard Ave and then going express to the end or something, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I don't know, I mean, some of this is a little bit more, a little bit more complicated and it's cost money, but that's just, you know, one way to look at it. Um, and another way that the way that TIA's approach to stop consolidation is like we want to move to a standard that other transit agencies are using, which is like you know we want the stops to be roughly a quarter mile apart right. because it's the idea that you know people will walk to a faster service, they'll walk more a to faster, a faster reliable service. service. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so that's the idea is like making it faster, and making it more reliable. Now, of course, there are other things missing from the making it more reliable piece, oh, yeah. but that's. Kind of a side note. <laughs> so, uh, so we'll quickly run through the other the other yeah. updates here, and then we'll move on to the next subject. Um, effectively, frequency is going to be improved largely because the T is sending out um, eighty six of its oldest trains, some of which are um, about as old as me. Um, to, for uh, oh, <laughs> for, re- for yeah <laughs> for reconstruction, <laughs> they're basically tearing the trains down to their frames and then rebuilding them. Um, and then on top of that, we're going to be getting the Type 9 cars, which the MBTA recently announced um, that they got their funding from the State Department, uh, from MassDOT, uh, for that funding. So by 2017, we should have those cars, which should be coincident with the opening of the, actual, of the new yard that's being placed uh, in Somerville, next to the, uh, in the Brick Bottom neighborhood, next to the diesel, diesel shops there in Somerville. So that's going to be part of Phase 1 of the Green Line extension, and that's moving apace, actually. Uh, a lot of people are concerned about where, about the delays, but um, I'm also going to post on um, on the blog, the T has actually done a considerable amount of work, and um, and surprisingly, they did a major photo dump on Flickr of, of all of the construction projects, progress that they've done, in particularly retaining walls that they've been putting up so uh, they can extend, expand bridges. And of course, like only only real transit nerds like us would be, you know, going and looking at oh, right. pictures on Flickr. Well, the the major <laughs> well the major benefit is 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 that this is this is I mean, for the public this is this is major progress going forward because once once that once that physical infrastructure is in place and and there's a space to actually put those tracks mm-hmm. those tracks can go in right. though uh, the tracks where they're putting the retaining walls and expanding bridges won't be in use until. Uh, phases two and three, which will be uh, later on, and so so what the, the if if you haven't been following the Green Line extension, what they're doing is a phased approach. So they're uh, they're trying to do multiple phases. Can I ask you questions about the you talked about increased frequency and, and right. capacity and see capacity on your list? Um, you know, they're so they're rebuilding some cars. Yep. Uh, I yep. assume we have a place to store these cars. It's right. Not going to be Somerville. No, no. Yep. So. What what is this going to mean practically? I mean, we're already right now. We're already running. We're already seeing you know in the, in the busiest times. We're already seeing these trains come in every five minutes, and 
you know, on each branch, and they're, you know, there's, there's right. no room for all of them downtown. Like, right. What what does this realistically mean? So what the, what the extra trains are going to do? The additional uh, how many Type Nine cars was it going to be? Uh, oh, it's like twenty four. Twenty, yeah. Some it's not a, it's not a lot, but what what that's going to do is because of the extra mileage that they're adding for the Green Line extension, uh, that will cover that ex- that extra distance. Because right. if you just keep adding mileage to the system without adding the number of trains, so those, those twenty four cars take care of that extension. I, yeah. I get that. That's that's fine. Yeah. But in terms of in terms of increasing, though we we're talking about increasing frequency on the on the existing service and. My understanding has always been that, that, A, they don't have, you know, the power system is just old and they right. can't accommodate more and um, the platform's not long enough for, for longer trains and, you know, I don't know, is there is there actually a way that they're going to get more trains on the tracks? So that's so that's the other, yeah, that, that's the other component. They, As far as I know, uh, and at least from from what I believe I've been told, if I'm remembering correctly, the T does now have full three-car capacity at all stations. Um, and at least, um, well, definitely at, at, at uh, Government Center when it's done in two years. Wait, so they built, because I, the C line, I thought, I thought that the C and the E line, they couldn't run three cars. Well, they couldn't, sorry, they couldn't run three cars past Brigham Circle on the E line, which, I mean, that's kind of a right. joke anyway, but... Um, <laughs> the, the but they, and they couldn't run them on the C line. I don't remember why. So maybe they they actually made some investments to. I believe all the platforms now are okay. three platforms. Okay. So are three yes three platforms. So three car three <laughs> car platforms. Okay, so that's a that's a good start actually. That's that's a lot of progress. If, if I'm wrong, then somebody 50%. will correct me. Yeah. That's an extra fifty percent capacity. Right. So if we can get these cars, these eighty-seven. I don't know if these eighty-seven cars are going to be enough to make a difference, but if they are. Well, it's the 87 cars that are already in service, but they're going out for, uh, okay, for so overhaul. So then we don't have any, any increase whatsoever, because yeah. how are you going to increase frequency? It's an be? increase in not, of eight cars, because those eight cars of the older set have actually been out of service for a while and um, okay. are uh, unserviceable. Okay. Um, and then, I think that was some creative, uh, you know, hey, you know, we'll get these cars back, and, you know, more cars it means more service, but, you know, it doesn't really... Well, <laughs> going back to the reliability, it, it's, it's going imp- to... The top-down overhaul will improve. Um, well, there's a few smaller things here, like conversion of all LED, all lighting to LED, new right, seats okay. and interiors, ADA-compliant door warnings and signals, and a major thing: improved heating, ventilation, and air conditioning or HVAC systems. Right. So, okay. So, anything else we want to talk about on the Green Line? I know right. We're getting kind of in the weeds here. So, uh, three-car trains. Uh, that's a major thing that they they definitely that's going to add capacity. And you were talking about that. Um, and you also mentioned power systems. Uh, Brian Regan mentioned the fact that I'm sorry, not Brian Regan. That's a comedian. Brian Kane. <laughs> Brian Kane, <laughs> Brian Kane is uh, he's he's going to be. In, he mentioned the fact that uh, the T is currently planning a power study of the power systems, um, so that they can assess what needs to be replaced, what needs to be upgraded, how much will that cost in the end. Um, so they're looking at the green line, the orange line, and the red line all together because those those systems are starting to get into their age. Major accessibility improvements. So the the reconstruction of Copley Station, Government Center, and a few other stations uh, in the Central Artery Subway. Uh, sorry, not Central Artery. The Central Subway. <laughs> uh, the Central Subway. They. Uh, this would be the underground portion. Right. The the one that exists between Kenmore and. Um, Actually, all the way out to Leechmere. So they, yeah, east right. of Kenmore. So those those were all eighty uh, uh, Americans with, with Disabilities Act um, projects that were designed to bring full accessibility to the T. So what this means for what this yeah. means for people if you're not familiar with uh, you know, with having physical disability, what this means right. is just um, elevators and for people with disabilities. And yep. a lot of places, a lot of places, they put escalators because 
There are a lot of people who can use escalators, but not elevators. I mean, they, sorry, they can't walk upstairs, but they can use I escalators. I was going to say, I can't imagine somebody um, who can use an escalator, but can't. Um, well, um, yeah, I'm, yeah. No, I, there must be somebody. Yeah, gotta, yeah. If it's you, write to us. <laughs> yep. um, but, you know, for, for the rest of us, I mean, people who have, you know, heavy bags, or strollers, or bikes, yep. or, you know, I mean, it's, these are improvements for, for everybody, yep. really. And, so it's nice to see this hundred-year-old system coming along. So there's a lot of things that didn't get taken, uh, get uh, encapsulated and taken care of in that first wave. And so there's a second wave of accessibility improvements that they're working on um, so that they can, uh, just like the power systems uh, study, uh, these, basically these studies assess what's, what's wrong, what's there, what needs to be changed, and how much will this all cost us. Um, and so that's coming up. They're, they're working on a second round of that. I mean, so. I think we, we think we all agree on that. You know, the fact that stations should be made accessible. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's anybody. If there's anybody out there that uh, you know doesn't agree with that, then like you know, screw you. But uh, what, what I wanted to ask is, is in terms of in terms of you know making stations accessible. I mean, what are we going to do with some of these stations that are out there? Some of the like the, like in a B line, for example. There's some stations like I know a station at Harvard Air. I was really I use that pretty frequently. It's a it's a pretty bad one. It was these stations that are literally like I mean the platform is literally like three feet yeah. wide. It's in the middle of the street. Like, it's not even in the middle of the street. It's like sometimes these offset from the middle of the street. So, like, if you're not careful and look in the right direction, you can, yeah, I almost I nearly got killed. It was like two seconds from getting killed. Yep. Once. You know, so it's like, you know, so what are we going to do for these stations that are just like out there? Is that on the radar at all? Um, I believe that, that I believe those stations um, are actually as part of that, that second okay. phase planning. Basically, any station that didn't get I mean, touched this, fir- this yeah. t- first time around. The second phase will uh, will encapsulate. And the those. reason I ask about that is is not because you know like when are we making them accessible or whatever. I don't want to you know I'm not, and that's that's not my, my right. point. But what I'm, I'm trying to get at is some of these are are so these places are so narrow and it's so just like by the design of it now it's completely it's like impossible yeah. to make it accessible just just by the T doing what they're what they're doing. Right. Um, so this so you know are we gonna are we gonna be talking about like take reallocating space from from the roadway to transit or is I there think there's plenty of room for that especially in Alston. Um, um, I mean, putting that road on a diet would sef- certainly. Um, I mean, I know, although I know a lot of people don't want their cars taken away from them in Austin, but at the same time, if we improve the Green Line, there's less of a reason for you to need a car in, in yeah. Austin. That would be a joint operation with. Um, I mean, the, the city of Austin. It's not yeah. really pushing the T. It's more just like yeah. it's more like pushing the city to. Oh yeah. You know, because the city in the past has, whenever it's come to giving over roadway space to, to transit, you know, like bus lanes and stuff, they've just been, you know, completely in opposition. So oh, yeah. I'd well, love to see that changing. Well, we'll see what happens with the the new com- the new commissioner. I know we have an interim commissioner for the for uh, Boston Transportation, as we were talking about. Cause, yeah, uh, do we know who that is? Uh, let me double check that, and we'll uh, we'll come back to that. This guy's an encyclopedia right here. I mean, he's <laughs> just spouting facts, and there he's just like pulling out his computer. And <laughs> so, um, so yeah, but th- but that'd be interesting because I think um, we and one of the reasons that, that you know we're do, trying to do this, this advocacy is. Because you know we live in a city where the the vast majority of people get around by public transportation, and, and which includes walking, uh, and and sometimes biking, and and you know we our our policy and street design really has, has favored cars. And we hear you hear Mayor Menino, uh, who's no longer mayor, <laughs> as as you know, um, you know came out and said, oh, the car is no longer king. And there's even actually if you look uh, if you look closely, uh, use Hubway enough, you know, there's actually a Hubway bike that says uh, on it, it's like has that quote on it, the, co- the car is no longer king in Boston. <laughs> but unfortunately, the car still is king in Boston. So I'd love in, to see that sort of start to change. And um, it's a slow process, but. You know, uh, to, to kind of to, to kind of um, moderate that a little bit, I, I, I I'm completely in agreement with the, the, the statement. I believe I believe it's more of a actually uh, in in large part it's going to be a a, a, men, a mental shift for a lot of people who um, are just kind of resigned to the fact that how could the T ever be improved? Um, 
that you know the fact that uh, you know it is improvable and that there are better th- there are ways to get this and that you know the car is not the only way that you can get into Boston and that Boston has been doing that for the better part of a century for the better part well better half of a century um, and we ended up with um, we ended up with a pretty much hollowed out downtown with just a bunch of garages and a lot of cities did that and that could have cl- that that could have killed Boston. Boston could have Oh, it nearly did. Yeah, Boston very could have easily turned into Detroit. Yeah, and we talk um, about the 80s and 90s were like, you know. Oh, yeah. just, I mean, it was just I mean, there are a few reasons that it that it did not. Yeah, yes. I mean, that was, <laughs> but it, you know, that was far from from certain and Mr. So, yeah, so I mean, right now, you know, we're we you know, we took this big highway and we put it underground. But I mean, anybody oh, who's yeah. who's around, you know, there's so much traffic and in the rush hours down here, and it's just like, you know, it's, anybody who's ever had to try to wait to cross the street and yeah. marked crosswalk with a driver, and then they complain that bikes don't follow the laws, and it's like, yeah. so we have these it's just so many cars. And we we have, need to we need yeah. to think differently than, yeah. than the car. We need to not be afraid to, to, you know, instead of instead of having you know trying to accommodate the traffic that's already there, we need to not be afraid to say like, no, we don't want this traffic and go the yeah. other way. Oh yeah. Um, so it looks like uh, James uh, Gillooly. I hope I'm saying oh, that correctly. Oh, Gillooly. Okay. Yeah. He's, uh, well, uh, I will. I will have no comment on uh, on him. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, so he's uh, he's currently the um, I guess. Oh, so he was the deputy commissioner. So now he's step step stepped up as as interim uh, commissioner. Yeah. So um, so I will be professional, and I will wait to see what happens. <laughs> Indeed. Let's talk about bridge because I want to. Right. Yeah. So, so because of because of apparent the apparent issues with green line service, um, there is now uh, there is a market that that a private uh, transportation startup is actually tapping into, which is the late which is the latent demand for uh, I believe the cost of the rides eventually when they get out of piloting service is uh, eight dollars a, a day or something. Am I reading that correctly? Eight dollars a ride, I think, and it's it's um basically what this company is doing is they're they're just a startup company and they're running um and they're trying to appeal to you know the people who are you know oh you can get real time info and we'll give you free water and all this other stuff but they in these cushy buses and and all that but they basically what they're doing is they're they're just providing essentially shuttle bus service um now we we already have shuttle bus services around the city and most of these that that, that you're probably familiar with are run by these big hospitals so you see these you know partners healthcare shuttle buses going around you see you'll see uh, vehicles like you know Boston Coach and and other companies that are providing shuttles for various employers around town um, and these are basically large employers that you know it, it sort of uh, it sort of makes a lot of sense when you have a ton of people to move from like you know point A to points B and C only that you know you you provide this this kind of service and it supplements the local transit system right but um, so what bridge is doing is they're just trying to appeal to to anyone and they're they're trying to they're just making this express bus right. service and seeing like you know can we charge a bunch of money for it enough to make it a profitable venture for us um, which the T obviously is right. not and. You know, and I don't know. You had some thoughts on it. Did yeah. You, did so you, you yeah. So you you apparently pay your the the average cost is going to be six to eight dollars, um, and what you're really paying for uh, is the cost of convenience. Um, I guess it it remains to be seen how much of that convenience is based on uh, rush hour traffic. Um, but from what I've been hearing and what uh, what what uh, challenge. 
T versus bridge challenges recently have shown is that um, bridge bridge beats out the T uh, relatively easily just because you have that transfer at Park. Well, in fairness, the, the, but they did they, they went from Coolidge Corner over to, right. to Kendall Square and they said, oh well, they said, oh well, we beat the T because they you know trend. But it's a typical uh, you know non-transit user thinking, which is just like, okay, well yeah yeah it's easy to beat the green line to the right. red line transfer. Well, it's, it's also you know. And they picked certain plate. They picked a certain a certain place. It's like okay, well, Coolidge Corner to Kendall. Like, there's issues there, but um, there's also, I mean, the 66 bus across the river beats the T, the, the Green Line and Red Line combination. So it's right. like you right. don't really have a very high uh, bar to pass oh, in, yeah. in this this way. So so the other thing is that a lot of people. It seems to be a common trope that people are are calling bridge and on a lot of these similar services several, several other services have popped up across the country including one in San Francisco on top of the existing um, issues with uh, private buses using public uh, public transit um, bus stops uh, in yeah, San basically Francisco like Google and others are running like these big these big full size like think of like a Greyhound type bus right. running these around the city and, and that's what that's what know. the bridge buses are they're they're right. they're full size Greyhound buses and think of it think of Think of Bridge as the um, limo liner, if you've ever taken or even looked, considered a limo liner. Um, it's basically the it's like a bridge... bus service. Yes. Uh, yeah. the, the, this bridge service is to the T as limo liner is to, say, bolt bus or megabus, um, if you're going between New York City and Boston. So uh, it's, it's an interesting concept, though I don't think it's going to be a... I, I really don't think it's going to kill the ridership or, or, or pull away as many people... Um, as the, as people think it, they, it will it will definitely pull an an audience who is on the top on the top the cream of the yeah. I mean, the crop have, The way I look at it is, if you have sixteen dollars a day to spend on getting to work, yeah. Well, you probably also have thirty bucks a day to spend on getting to work, or forty bucks, and then you right. might just take cabs already, and you might not give a shit. Right. So <laughs> so these so I mean, what the, what will happen is. Um, they're they're kind of edging into the T's market share, but it's not the core market share, and that's what really matters. What what happens is what will happen rather, I believe, is is we'll see a large ridership on bridge, and I definitely wish them the best because you know anything anything that improves non auto transportation in Boston is good. Um, but the other thing is uh, with what with a, with whatever number of passengers they take away from the T. You will have an equal number of people who will probably step in and say, "Oh, the T is a little bit less crowded today. Let me take the T." Um, I don't know that people are really going to notice that, to be honest. Yeah, because bus ridership is growing so much. Oh yeah, T ride, yeah. you know, train ridership right. is growing so, so much. That, I don't know if anybody's going to notice. To so honest. that's so that's the other thing is like, will we will we be able to to notice the effect? Um, will Will Bridge effectively be able to run as many buses? Um, I, I really don't think I really don't think it's it's. Uh, I really think it's too early to, to call to call bridge uh, um, to call any bets on um, on bridge, but uh, it could definitely turn into they well Boston Boston uh, Boston you know, puts them next to uh, what is it Zipcar and uh, a few others or am I reading that wrong <laughs> um, Yeah, Zipcar, Uber, Lyft, it's Sidecar. A lot of the same, yeah. It's a lot of the same venture capitalists in investing. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I, what my concern really is. You know, it's not it's not just getting a bus full of people. It's going across, and okay, that's fine. You know, whatever. Right. But you know, my my concern is is the congestion and and, right. and how this interfaces with the transportation network. So, yeah. um, you know, what what does this do to? So where are these where are these buses stopping? I think in in uh, Coolidge Corner, this the, but their bus stop is like in some parking lot. Right. So, okay, fine, whatever. Um, but you know, how does this interface with with everybody else? And and are we also? Mm-hmm. It, it's a little weird because like by kind of. In, 
Well, there's nothing that we, I mean, there's nothing that, you know, the public sector really can do. I mean, it's just a private company doing their thing and right. whatever. But it's it sort of, I just don't like this idea that there's, like, this is a better service for people right. who can pay for it. I mean, we, it, it, I think what it does is it shows that there are ga- are big gaps in yes, our transit Yes, absolutely. System. And one of, one of those, yeah, you know, and so they, they're talking about Kendall Square as their big focus area because Kendall Square has grown tremendously in the past right. 10, 20 years, and, you know, the T hasn't invested in anything, so they haven't put new routes there. And, you know, I think it just shows all these, these gaps that we really should be looking at new routes, uh, limited stop routes, uh, you know, maybe shuttles from certain places, right. um, expansion of, of Huawei for, for one thing, um, and, you know, look at, look at more, you know, secure bike facility, bike parking facilities and, um, you know, I mean, we really should be looking at things that are going to, are going to solve some of these gaps. And, um, so this company stepped in and thinks that they're going to be able to make a profit in it. Well, you know, I mean, go for it. It's just don't, you know, mock up anything, <laughs> anything, uh, right. you know, don't be uh, putting these buses at 66 bus stops. So my biggest concern is will, will, um, bridge, uh, really eat away at, the MBTA's argument that they are, you know, they are providing service with right. what they do, uh, because people will go in and they'll say, "Well, the startup, they're they're doing this with buses. Why can't the T do that?" It's like, well, the T yeah. has different operating constraints, and, and we'll get into an article specifically about this. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and other other outlets have already talked about it. We'll we'll, we'll tailor it specifically to yeah. Boston, which brings us into the other well, we argument. Should, I was going to say we should come back to this in six months, and yeah. we'll, uh, we'll, we'll revisit Bridge, and we'll see yeah. uh, if we were right, and your your prediction is that it's <laughs> not going to work out, or what is? Well, well, my I I think it's still too early to call. Um, I think I think Bridge will 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 play more of a part in arguments with with between people saying. Oh, the the T could do better. Oh, okay. if the T could do better. Well, why isn't why are why are they doing it? Why is Bridge mm-hmm. doing it? Okay. So, and I think it'll be it'll do fine as like a few buses a day, oh, yeah. and that's all it's going to be. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we, uh, we we don't have a ton of time. We have to wrap up. Um, sure. So yeah, we, we should go because it's uh, it's getting to be uh, way too long here. <laughs> um, but I said this is going to be a wild show. Uh, it's not always going to be this long. But um, yeah, so I hope you I hope you guys enjoyed what you uh, what you heard here. Um, once again, you can you can get in touch with us. Um, you can uh, email us uh, if I haven't. If we haven't created this yet. We, we have. Will. We have. Okay, so we have an email address: uh, feedback at transitmatters.info. You can also tweet us. You can also comment on the blog post. This will be followed with. Right. Um, we also we also have a Facebook page. I believe that's just. Uh, uh, tra- yes, uh, it's facebook.com/transitmatters. If you just search for Transit Matters, um, we're on we're on there. And cool. our tw- Twitter handle is twin. Excuse me. Twitter handle is also. <laughs> Uh, at Transit Matters. So excellent, cool. So yeah, um, yeah. Get in touch with us because we want to hear from you if we, um, about your transportation issues and if you have ideas for show topics or guests. Um, I personally have a whole long list of them; it's up to like a hundred by now. But you can, <laughs> um, you know, we want to hear from you as well, and we want you to participate in this in this vision as well. So um, yeah, so get in touch. Feedback at transitmatters.info, and uh, I guess we'll talk to you um, in a couple weeks. 